Hello and welcome to the Global Talent War, a podcast by Tech in Asia produced in partnership with Globalization Partners. My name's Nat, I'm the host of Tech in Asia's Startup Snapshot podcast, and I'm joined for this launch episode by Globalization Partners, Charles Ferguson. Welcome to your show, Charles. How's Thank it going? Thank you so much, man. It's going really well. Yeah. Well, uh, now obviously with the title of this podcast being The Global Talent War, it's uh, pretty obvious what we're going to be talking about for this uh, series, but maybe could you take some time to explain to everyone listening, what exactly we're going to be talking about for this series? What is the global talent war? So it's a really great question. It's a deep and nuanced question, actually. The the phrase um, or the concept of the global talent war actually was coined in 1997 by a group of people from McKinsey. And it came into being essentially because of this pretty dramatic shift that everyone's really seen over the past now 30 years since that was actually coined, right? Around uh, 21st century movement to a more information worker-oriented environment. And that's really interesting, but what is probably the most evocative about what's happened with that talent war concept over the past you know, two to three decades is how the generational um, demographics have really impacted it how technology has really ramped and amplified sort of the the intricacies of what this talent war is all about. So you mentioned that this was something that was coined by people from McKinsey yeah. uh, almost 30 years ago by yep. now. Yep. Um, what was it that they were noticing that actually led them to believe, and mm. war is no small word. No, it's a serious, <laughs> it's a serious, serious word. word. Right, so what, what were the changes that they were witnessing? What was going on in the world at that time that led them to say there is a war going on right now across the world for talent? It's a great question. So think about this. It, it, for some of your listeners, maybe for some of the folks in this room, they might not necessarily be old enough to remember um, the proliferation of the internet Right. And, you know, we've all become not desensitized, but we've certainly become really used to the ubiquity of access to information. Right. Mm. Uh, you know, I have I have a couple of kids. These kids are far more savvy at their age today with the ability to leverage technology to gain access to information and entertainment, et cetera, than I possibly could have fathomed at that age, you know, when I was playing with my Legos, you know. Right. So um, the. Uh, sort of the, the the harbinger or the catalyst of where this sort of concept came from was a very uh, striking shift of the reliance upon companies for what heretofore has been phrased as the information worker. Mm. So this sort of asset that is delivering value through the use of technology and the manipulation and management of data and information. Right. At that time, there was a pretty striking um, gap between the demand and the supply of that talent. Now, I would position, I wouldn't necessarily argue, but I would position that that hasn't really changed. And that's why we're still using the same phrase. That's why it's still a very common conversation point amongst talent acquisition specialists particularly, because the um, rate at which that talent is becoming quote unquote, available in the marketplace has not even come close to keeping up with the demand for those types of talents, number one. And number two, the evolution of the types of technologies that are becoming more required 
and more commonplace in the workforce or even in society has just, you know, increased by quantums, right? Right. We talk about artificial intelligence today, like it's just some, you know, off the shelf, uh, you know, go to 7-Eleven and buy some AI, right? Yeah. Yeah. Basically AI is everywhere. AI is everywhere. (laughs) And, And, you know, the, I mean, again, I'm not trying to hark on my own age here, but the whole concept of the power that we just hold in our pockets on our smartphones, mm. the uh, ability to do sort of augmented reality um, uh, or even virtual reality through different types of applications on your phone is just, I mean, to me, it's mind boggling. For the younger folks coming into the workforce, a lot of these things are kind of like table stakes. Right. And those do create fault lines in this war, right, mm. in this battlefield because a lot of things are actually creating these battles in the war. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll probably get into this in a couple of minutes, but certainly the most recent um, black swan event, right? The the global pandemic has created a whole new sort of battle line for what's going on around this war for talent. It's going to become incredibly exacerbated by the the global shift in um, economic development that's actually taking place for us here in Asia Pacific, right? You know, the pendulum has truly swung, and um, that really became apparent, I think, to the whole world during the trade contest between the United States um, and, and China, particularly. But Asia is not just China, right? Yeah. So there's so much going on in this region that the the sort of the war for talent was always happening, but now it's become really acute. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Right. Right. So basically, the proliferation of technology. That's that's uh, the main driver. Right. You know, there's been a decline in the number of college educated workforce in mm. the developing markets. So if you think about the classic G7, everyone's heard of the G7. Yeah. The other sort of end of that spectrum is the E7, the emerging mm. markets. For the first time in history, the percentage of contribution to the global, let's call it the talent workforce of college graduates is now more than half in the emerging markets right. over that of the, um, you know, let's call it the, the more uh, mature markets of, of the G7, as an right. example. What does that mean? Well, that means that you've got this really stark challenge where birth rates are declining in those countries, the labor force is shrinking, mm-hmm. the economies to a very large extent, therefore, are beginning to stagnate, right? The growth rates aren't nearly as favorable as the emerging markets. And at the same time, you've got more college educated, ambitious young workforce joining the global talent pool Mm. in these emerging markets. So therefore, you've got this kind of dramatic shift. Right, right. So it's a bunch of things happening at the same time. Oh, it's so much, man. So many things happening within the same span of like, like that era. Absolutely. Where technology was becoming more widespread. Uh, Globally, people were getting more well, not just more, but better educated. Absolutely. And these all came together to lead to companies essentially having to choose the best of the best or the cheapest best. That's right. And that led to just a war on all fronts with people competing for jobs at multinational companies, at startups, because now with the certain skill sets that are available to people right now, you could hire someone in like Singapore for a job in the US or vice versa. That's the whole idea. In 2019, 
the World Bank uh, came out with analysis that, that said, if you look at low income to middle income countries around the world in 2019, for the first time ever, remittances for foreign workers working overseas, this is excluding China, the remittance revenue actually surpassed foreign direct investment and government aid combined wow. into those countries which means this reliance on this global workforce for generating the revenue that's required to keep these economies growing is directly on the shoulders of these workers, right? So it's a, it's a pretty phenomenal scenario. Countries are now competing for talent. And where the line gets really sharp and tenuous is when it starts to become a question of kind of politics, culture, and economics versus the rational logic, right, of supply and demand and growth and economic progress. Right. And that kind of nexus point is where the nationalism starts, starts to come into play. And people say, oh, we don't want, you know, immigration. We want to, and, and it happens all the time. It's not uh, confined to one area. But you see some countries looking at this and going, well, if they're going to fight over that stuff and exclude workers, then if, we'll, if we come out with a cool new immigration policy and make it a what's now called a green zone. Mm. Green zones post-pandemic are really where the war for talent is starting to evolve. Right. Green zones are countries that have controlled the pandemic really well. They've got decent or even free access to vaccines and that kind of healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they've got really nice, favorable immigration policies and investment strategies for uh, employees and for employers, right? And those are going to be countries that are going to start to really take advantage of this. Right. You know, it's 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 a huge opportunity for growth in some some places that heretofore were eclipsed by more mature marketplaces. Right. Right. Now, before we we expound on that, yeah. you know, that's obviously the most recent development, Correct. I guess, with the global town mm -hmm. war. I do want to take it back a little bit before the COVID nineteen pandemic sure. happened, um, because earlier you said. You know, since the 90s, we've been using the term global talent war um, up till now. You know, it's so serious. It's grown in seriousness absolutely um, over the years. But we're still using the same terms because it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, it's a but long it, war. But it, it's a long <laughs> war. <laughs> but but it's, it's kind of changed in different ways over the years. There mm. have been kind of milestones, you know, in, in which um, technology has advanced, borders have been built or broken and and, and the global talent war became slightly different from the global talent war the year before. Absolutely. Right? So Absolutely. maybe we could talk a, bit, a little bit about how this war has evolved over the decades, you know, those almost three decades since it was first coined, the global talent war. Absolutely. So if, if, we, if we roll it back, say, 20 years ago, the dearth of talent that was apparent, for example, in the United States to perform tasks that were to some extent, perhaps viewed to be uh, repetitive mm -hmm. um, or I wouldn't necessarily call them menial because they were still uh, reliant upon technology for scale and for volume, but they were highly repetitive tasks. If you think about it, for all intents and purposes, this was the beginning of the um, great offshoring of the 20th century, right? right? The birth of the BPO market, mm. which really, again, it... it um, dramatically escalated um, a shift in, let's call it value chain, out of the West and into the Asia Pacific region. 
right. most acutely and most specifically into India and the Philippines, mm. right? And what was really unique about that was that it was ostensibly at the time a low-cost labor arbitrage maneuver, right? It was about getting great execution for lower costs. That was kind of the opportunity, right? What's fascinating again, and I will go back in time, but I just want to fast forward really quickly. Sure. The the whole value of the quote unquote BPO has completely shifted upside down again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of that work is actually being reshored. Uh, a lot of that work is actually now being um, automated through software. And with that automation, uh, contrary to what you know, some alarmists might say, the robots are not coming for your job. The robots are coming to give you a different kind of job, mm-hmm. right? So I don't think anyone sits around and like wrings their hands and, and runs their fingers through their hair with stress over the fact that the lift operator is no longer a huge employer in uh, major cities, right? Because it used to be that you got into a lift or an elevator and there'd be someone sitting there on a chair and you tell them which floor you wanted to go to right. and they would bring you up to that floor, right? Well, guess what? Automation took care of that. And those <laughs> folks aren't around anymore, right? Except for maybe novelty. Um, or the operator, when you used to call and the people would do the switchboard operator, right? Mm. They pull the cables out of one circuit and put it into another circuit to have the signal of communication go to another point. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. Well, that's obviously gone now, right? This is an evolutionary concept, but that harks to your point around the fact that the, the battle lines are continually shifting and they shift not only because of changes in technology or in changes in business model, they also shift in the manner in which the economies are evolving. So I, I said a moment ago that BPO industry, as an example, shifted a lot of the work away. That wasn't only just call center work. Manufacturing, also huge amounts of manufacturing went uh, overseas. Mm. And I'm referring again, when I say overseas, I'm referring to the North American um, and to some extent the European markets right. where they shifted a lot of that stuff into lower cost marketplaces. What's amazing now is that you see those same markets that the work was taken to now kind of innovating mm. and becoming net exporters of new types of work back to some of these same countries that shifted the work 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I'll, I'll give you another example, which has always been fascinating to me. I've been in Asia now for 35 years. Mm. And one of the things that I really enjoyed watching, at one point in my career, I worked for kind of mainstream multinational software companies. I worked for Microsoft and SAP, mm-hmm. among other firms. And in mature markets, there was a pervasive requirement for workers to go out and get certified on, you know, uh, I'm, an, I'm an MCST or I'm a .NET certified engineer or I'm a CNA or whatever, whatever the flavor was at the time, ABAP for SAP, et cetera. And in countries around the region, as an example, who didn't have access to that kind of education or certification programs or frankly cash because it's, it's expensive, right? Yeah. What did they do? Well, they, top, they, they tapped into open source software. Mm. Why? Uh, because it's free, right? Right. So here you have this huge population in Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, Cambodia, uh, Myanmar, Bangladesh, et cetera, tapping into open source software to learn how to build and innovate and create new types of technology, which is, now we look at that and think that's brilliant, right? 
at that point in time, it was a, a necessity is the mother of invention kind of story. Well, guess what? Now these countries that had been so focused and reliant on these more mainstream types of technologies, proprietary types of technologies, well, the whole world has now shifted to ostensibly, I mean, more or less, right? An open source kind of world, right. models that we operate on, software as a service, platform as a service, infrastructure service, kind of the channels across those are, are, are open source. Ruby on Rails and Python and all these development languages. Well, now all the talent for that is got the lion's share of the attention. Right. And they're in these emerging markets, right? Philippines, et cetera. I mean, they're, they're loving it. It's fantastic. That again is this shift of value that is creating this war for talent. Right. The pendulum swung again. The pendulum has swung. Right. This this is it was said in the 90s, and I'm saying it now in you know 2021. This is the Asian century. Right. It's just a fact. It's a non-debatable fact. Right, right. And obviously, you know, with all these changes happening, yeah. changing the face of the global talent war, mm. changing what it means to globalize, essentially. That's right. This war is increasingly incurring an amount of casualties. Yeah. You know, uh, it's Darwinian, are, man. Yeah, it's going to happen, right? You know, who, who survives is just going to be the best, right? Uh, but like players on all sides, there's companies, there's MNCs, there's, there's startups who have um, ventured out of their home countries. Yep. There are the, the actual talent, the employees. You That's know? right. But who are the main casualties of this war? How have they come to be casualties mm. in the first place. Mm. And how are they being affected by this, like you said, the longest war that's been going on? <laughs> this is the longest war ever. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, it, it's actually, if you, if you sit back and you really think about it, to a large extent, it is sort of, sort of common sense, right? But common sense is not so common. That's what my dad used to say. Yeah, my dad said the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Our dads probably know each other. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, the, the reality is that and, and again, I don't want to keep bringing this up, but it's kind of invariable. The technology story really is the red thread that connects this whole thing together, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of the ammunition in this war, if you will. And the fact that, you know, how many consultants, how many politicians, how many uh, entrepreneurs say that every company is now a technology company, right? Well, it's kind of true. Right. And one of the common scenarios here you know, you think about, I'll give you an example. So the talent war in a particular battle line, a battlefield in, let's say, accounting. Okay, I'm just using a professional service that's probably every country, every listener has engaged at some point with an accountant, yeah. right? If they've been around long enough. If I they've mean, been around long enough. If you just started your job, maybe give, maybe it, a, give it a couple days. Yeah, give it a couple <laughs> days, exactly. Or, or, or you're going to reach out and maybe not engage an accountant per se, but you might reach out and subscribe or, or, or gain access to an accounting software package. Yeah. Because you got to make the numbers add up. If you're going out to get funding, you want to get venture cap, you want to get angel investors, whatever, you're trying to do your term sheet, whatever, you got to have a profit and loss statement that makes sense, right? A projection. Yeah, 100%. You, you got to balance your checkbook occasionally, yeah. right? Um, so at the end of the day, what you see a lot of are accounting practices that have been around for, in some instances, 100 years. Mm. You think about some of the more venerable institutions, they call them the big four, right? Yeah. EY, PwC, Deloitte, uh, KPMG, as examples. Those venerable institutions are essentially partnerships. 
and each of the kind of partners that are part of those institutions operate a practice in a particular area, right? So let's say Singapore as an example, because that's where we are today. Right. So a particular partner from that particular flavor of big four might spin off on their own and start their own practice and really start to do localized, um, customized kind of accounting for various reasons, IFRS or whatever they, they might specialize in. If they fail to understand the importance of culture, if they fail to understand that you have to keep focusing on training, if they fail to understand that you have to continually look for new ways to bring new technology into the practice, if they neglect the uh, and, and relegate to shiny new object the idea of automation, if all these things continue to proliferate and they say, well, it's always worked this way, it's a recurring revenue business, I don't have to do these things, right? Well, guess what? At some point, the folks that agree with you and who are out there on the floor in the cubicles typing away on sometimes typewriters, by the way, right? right. With big stacks of paper. Yeah. Well, they're going to retire. They're mm-hmm. going to get gone, right? Okay, so who's going to do the work now? You tell me if you think a 21-year-old recent grad from SMU, which I can see the campus of right here, right? Yeah. Is going to graduate from SMU with the, with their undergraduate degree and pursue a job in accounting, which is a great noble profession, and walk into one of those practices and sit down in front of a terminal with a flashing green cursor on a black screen and like an abacus <laughs> and, and want to stay there, right? And right. want to work there. It ain't going to happen. Right. That's just a very infinitesimal, tiny little example of a failure to embrace change, giving you the distinct dishonor of being a casualty in the war for talent. Right. Just right. one example. Right. There are so many um, ways that this common sense kind of um, trait, if it's not employed, can give rise to um, the decline of a, of a particular business or a particular industry for that matter. Mm. We had these conversations maybe, you know, four years ago about the future of work, mm. not putting air quotes so that your listeners can understand what I'm doing in front of you, yeah. right? The future of work was like this common We've phrase, this cliche, you know, yeah. the war for talent, the future of work, you know? <laughs> well, guess what? The future is like come and gone already, right? It's, right. It's, 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 we're in it. And what blew my mind was this, this constant lament, particularly from folks of my generation or slightly older than my generation. Mm-hmm. I'm Gen X, right? talking about, oh, you know, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna operate with these millennials that are coming in or these gin alphabet whatever, you know? <laughs> and the, the, the things that the youngest members of the workforce, say four years ago, three years ago, were saying were important to them as they came into the workforce mm. are now table stakes for every generation in the workforce. What are they? Well, I wanna be able to get access to uh, training on any device, anytime I want. Right. I want to be able to work from wherever I want to work. Mm. I want to be uh, able to, to design my own schedule. I want to work for a place that has values and has purpose and makes an impact. Mm. All these things we were like, oh, you strawberry generation, you know, <laughs> buck up, you know, get radical in there. Radical ideas. Yeah, get out yeah of you're here. radical, you know. <laughs> well, guess what? Now every single employee, the pendulum beyond swinging, you know, geographically has swung to a very large extent in favor of the talent 
of the employee. So this war, which was, you know, how do we as an employer or as a government track the talent? Now the war is kind of like really shifted because now the cards are really held in the talent's hands. Mm. They really make the decisions around how they're going to deploy their own skills and, and, and values. And, you know, man, it's what's really fascinating about that is that it's almost a tyranny of choice because you've got this whole nomadic workforce, you've got gig workers, part-time, a whole litany of different choices that people can make now about how they do their work. Right. It's it's exciting and it's all remote. Right, right. So what was like, quote unquote, radical before has now become the norm and you deviate from that norm and you're instantly a casualty. Well, then you're a casualty, exactly. Yeah, like, right. and, and a fast one. At least it's a, a fast one. You yeah. know, you don't get dragged along for very long. Right. You're just done. Right, know? right. So, well, I guess to, to wrap this up a little bit, sure. you know, this intro episode, obviously with companies having to respond to the changes being made in the economy and the job landscape, you know, uh, there have been some trends that have arisen in the latest edition, mm. let's say, of the global <laughs> talent war with COVID-19 uh, sweeping the globe. What are these trends that you've seen emerge among businesses? And I guess, which ones are you saying that, you know, these are good ideas? Maybe these are not so good ideas. That's a great question. You know, I mean, I think um, the past 18 months really have been uh, a baptism by fire for a lot of people, mm. right? I think everyone listening um, should, you know, pause to reflect that if you can believe it, I mean, it was only really like 12 months ago right. that this whole event really took hold uh, on the global spectrum and the ways and means by which individuals personally, companies and governments all kind of grappled with it varied tremendously. But by virtue of the fact that folks are listening, they, they survived, you know, right. Um, everyone got some scars from it for sure. Yeah. Or they're reviving, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's the reality. I mean, I think we're going away from, you know, the survival to the growth really. Mm. And, I think the the global forecasts fluctuate between 5.4 to 7.3% growth across the global economy in 2021. In fact, in in Asia, for the most of Asia as an aggregate, we're anticipating by the second half of this year to be at pre-pandemic growth levels in in the economy. Right. Which is just insane, right? It's insane, yeah. It's insane. Um lessons to be had, companies that were too fast to throw away the traditional office I think that's a mistake. Mm. Let me qualify my statement a little bit further. I'm not saying that everybody's got to go back to work. You know, where were you at 901 this morning? You know, that's not <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we have to be open-minded and embrace the idea that this hybrid workspace story is probably going to be the norm moving forward. That's not to say that one is right and one is wrong. It's not to say that, you know, the the more common workplace story is going to be, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whatever. Mm. I, I don't know. No one knows the answers to this. It's going to be about what's important and what works for the values and the services and culture of that particular company. But I will say that the overarching theme there is that um, empowerment through choice mm-hmm. is going to be a very, very important quality for companies and employers who want to come out ahead in this post-pandemic era, right? Right. So that's that's kind of number one. Right. Like basically flexibility that people want doesn't mean send them home. It means give them the choice. That's absolutely right. right. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll put a, a fine point to that. So 
I've got a couple of kids. Uh-huh. Um, I dig being at home with them, you know? Mm. Um, of course, they've got school, so I'm very thankful when they go to school in the morning. <laughs> but when they come back in the afternoon, I, I'm, I'm happy that I'm there. Right. Um, I used to travel every week in my mm-hmm. former vocation. Now I haven't left the island of Singapore in 17 months, right? Mm. Um, I, I like that. I like being at home and I like being around the family and kind of having that flexibility. Some people don't have that same perspective. Their, their space might be different. Maybe that's, mm. you know, Ama and dad and uncle John and aunt Sue and the dog. And, you know, <laughs> they're like over in a corner behind the refrigerator trying to get some silence. So they can do a call or whatever. That's not comfortable. Right. Right. Or maybe they're not married and they don't have kids and they're living on their own and they like the social engagement. They like to come in every once in a while and go to lunch with their buddies or, you know, maybe they meet their, their future partner, you know, at, right. at work or whatever. There's, there's not a one size fits all. And that's what I think is so interesting about what has been a net result from this mm-hmm. is that individual needs and flexibility has become, is becoming a standard. Right. Whereas before it was like my way or the highway, right? Mm. It was either you conform to what we've always done or you don't fit. Mm. And it ain't that kind of a party anymore. Right. I think right. that's quite cool. The power shift is, is Total really- Total power shift. Right. And, you know, to bring it back to kind of what we do as a company, the whole idea of remote work mm. is such a powerful um, lever for companies to grow. Right. Because now it doesn't matter if your current employee wants to work, you know, at the office or at home or in another country. It, you, you have the ability to enable that to happen right. through different business models and partners, etc., or if you can't find the talent in your backyard, the world is your talent pool. Mm. You can hire anywhere on the planet. Right, right. What an awesome opportunity. Basically, the perks that are given to anyone in this global talent war are actually available to everyone. Everyone. Right. And what, what's so exciting about that, that is that it's not only great for the company, it's amazing for the workers. Right. You know, I can be sitting in uh, Shanghai, and back in the day, maybe my job prospects were more or less to work for a state-owned enterprise. Mm-hmm. Now I can work for an international firm in any country in the world and I don't have to leave my house. Right. What an awesome opportunity, you know? Yeah. And that changes that, that dynamic that was previously going back in time relegated to like the BPO story and mm. think about India, the Philippines, et cetera. Now these folks who have incredible talent awesome education, the right level of ambition through the right channels, they can get employed by anybody and work anywhere, but they don't even have to leave Makati. You know? Right. That's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah, it's, it is. it's kind of awesome. You yeah. Know? So, well, yeah, I, I guess this is just, I would say we're not even close to the end of this war. I think this is a war safe to say that will go on forever. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think that, um, I think maybe maybe through the course of the next couple of conversations that we have, mm. maybe we can come up with, you know, McKinsey's cool, but I think we can probably come up with a new term. You know? Right, right. So maybe my goal for, for these conversations is going to be to think about how we can rephrase uh, in the war, you know, and uh, turn it into a new kind of adventure. 
Right, right. We'll see what we can find. And then in in 30 years or so, people are going to be quoting this podcast <laughs> saying... Uh, That's the goal, man. <laughs> you know? Why not? Yeah, well, uh, thanks for that awesome conversation. I guess we'll be finding out more in the conversations to come with all of our profiles that we'll be delving into. All of the people who have experienced this war. Well, for now, we'll call it the war. Sure. And uh, find out how exactly it's like to be on that battlefront. That's right. Right. So uh, if you're listening, you can tune into all our episodes. Just search up The Global Talent War by Tech in Asia and Globalization Partners. And you can visit Globalization Partners' website at globalization-partners.com to find out more about what they can help you with in this evolving talent world. There you go. Right. So, uh, yeah, Charles, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me.